God is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples who will reflect his glory in all spheres of life. The Bible describes and confirms this mission from beginning to end. Woven into the creation of Adam and Eve, the mission extended to all nations through God's promise to Abraham. Jesus took up this same mission and taught it to his disciples. Today, those who follow Christ take on his mission. We were designed to reflect his glory in every sphere of life, not only in this present life, but in the life which is to come throughout the heavens and the earth. Until then, will you give your life to God? Will you join his mission? All right, good morning, Northland. All right, whether you're online or in the room where it happens, if you know, you know. Um, welcome, glad to be here this morning. I feel like I need to tell you a little bit about me because I'm new here, new on the scene, been here almost eight weeks. My name's Derwin Anderson, and I am the executive pastor to the lead pastor. And so some of you don't know what that means. You don't even know what an executive pastor is or does. And so um, this week I kind of figured out two words that can encapsulate what I do. Projects and problems. So um, I am the project guy. If Pastor Josh is like, hey, we really need to do this, and he shares vision with me, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take care of it. And then problems, and, you know, <laughs> more money, more problems. So the more you get, the more you have, the more problems. And so I'm the problem guy and project guy. So a um, little bit about me. Um, Pastor Josh called me, or actually texted me, back in February and told me that he was taking a lead pastor position at a church in Florida. And in that text, he said, I'm going to need a, an executive pastor. And he says, I ghosted him, but I did not really ghost him. I, I literally said to him, that's great. I'm out. I'm not doing that. That, that was literally the ghosting. It was not really a ghosting. It was a like affirmative. No. Um, so, but in the praying through finally getting to a point of prayer and not just saying no to him and to God, here we are. So my family is here and um, we're excited to be here. So, um, and there's excitement mixed in with what are we doing? How did this happen? You know, all the ins and outs and ups and downs. But for the most part, we, we are excited to be here. And I say for the most part because life is full of ups and downs and transitions. We did the transition series. And so it's been hard for some. It's been okay for others. It's been great for some. So pray for our family as you think of us and um, what God has put before us. So a little bit about me specifically in my ministry journeys. I've... <laughs> I've done the most, as young people say these days. I feel like an old man when I say that. But I have done the absolute most. I've been a student pastor. I've been a missions pastor, um, director of a nonprofit, a Christian nonprofit missions and music organization. I've been a lead church planter. I've been the director of a boy's home. I've taught private school. I've taught public school. I've taught at our homeschool academy. Um, I've been executive pastor, and I even started an education nonprofit last year. So you're like, good night, that's a lot. Yes, it is. And um, it's a lot because I, be, I truly believe when the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And I, I don't take lightly that God has given me all of these things. Some would say are curses, and sometimes I say that too. But um, they're just gifts that God has given me and talents, and I, I want to fully use them for him. I've always been successful. Nah, I'd lie to you if I said that. But I'm going to keep going until God takes me home. I'm going to keep going and serve him the best that I can with what he's given me. So with all of that said, one thread, if you think about threads and, and consistency and things, education has always been a thread in my Years, Even when I didn't know if I was going to be in ministry, even though I was called at 18, education has always been in there. And it's been in situations where I wasn't looking for it, didn't ask for it, but God made a way. 
And so um, what I want to deal with this morning is how, what's the intersection of education, the church, and children? So the title of the message is Mission Through Education and Using Our Proximity, Position, and Power. Because God's given us proximity, he's given us position, he's given us power. Text will be in his Matthew 16, excuse me. Matthew 18, 1 through 6. Now, see, here's the deal, and I just need to be honest with you. I have 13 pages of notes, right? I used to only have about six pages of notes. And you say, well, how did that expand? Because I'm still going to probably preach in the same amount of time. Well, I crossed the bridge, and the font is a lot bigger so that I can read it without my spectacles. But every once in a while, I'm like, I think that says something, but it really doesn't. And the taking on and off of the glasses is too much. So bear with me if I have to do one of these numbers and figure out exactly what's going on. All right? And many of you are there with me, right? So you understand exactly what I'm talking about. I am not alone. Which leads me to something I want to talk about. There are two intrinsic things, needs that we have. We want to belong and we want to matter. So if I felt this morning that you weren't with me, almost that you didn't even want me up here, man, it would be sad for me and I would not feel like I belonged here. But I don't feel that way. I feel welcome, I feel loved, I feel all those things. But those are needs that we have. They're intrinsic to us. And the unfortunate thing is, is the world has an answer for those needs and the answer is not always a good one. Now, we... As parents, if you're a parent in this day and age, and when I mean parent, I'm saying of a child 20 years and younger, okay? We are the first generation to parent in a completely tech era. This is the first generation. And so I can't even compare what my parents and how they parented me to how I need to parent my children. It's completely different. And when you parent, you're educating. Social media and, and the interwebs, as a friend of mine says, they're, it's educating us. And I want you to think about your own life and think about ways that you were educated formally or informally. Now, my parents are from South America, and they do have that story of coming to the country with two suitcases and $100 and, you know, just making it. And so, um, and it's, they're from Guyana, South America. Not, it's not in Africa because a lot of us Americans don't know geography enough because... Somehow we missed that in school, but Guyana is in South America. There used to be five Guyanas. You might not have known that. Then there were three. British Guyana, which is now Guyana. Dutch Guyana, which is Suriname. And then French Guyana, which is French Guyana. And how did they become British, French, and Dutch? Colonizers. And you know what all that means. You bring your culture. You bring your food. You bring different people. You take people from other places. You transplant them. And so I am one of those people. Um, so I was born in the States. And I received some things as a child educationally that um, some were taught and some were caught. For instance, if I came home and there were people there, like my parents' friends or aunts or uncles, I knew I must say, good afternoon, Uncle Robbie. Good afternoon, Mr. Scotland. Good afternoon, Auntie Joyce. And those are real people. Those are real names. Because if I didn't, if I didn't, my dad would say, you don't see people here? You, you, do you see people in this house? So I was educated in a way of acknowledging people because people want to belong and they want to matter. So what did I do with that education? I passed it on to my kids. So when they go somewhere, I say, hey, there's people here. Say hello. Say good morning. Act like you have some manners and that you acknowledge people. And it's not that they don't have manners. It's just that they, they, they have less of an education in that than I did. Does that make sense to you? So you kind of let some things go as time goes on. But there are certain things that we don't need to let go. We really must make sure we hold on to these things. Now, let's talk a little bit about Pastor Josh last week said... And he talked about our power and proximity in regards to the gospel. Now, we're also going to talk about position this morning as well. We're going to add another P to that. Now, specifically talking about social media, there's a dilemma that we have. In fact, there's a documentary that came out a few years ago called The Social Media Dilemma. If you watched it, you want to insulate, isolate your children away from everything and yourself because there's so much out there. 
Now, what we realize with social media, there's proximity and there's power in social media. When I say proximity, most of you right now have a device that can quickly and easily get you on social media, most of you. And also, it is extremely powerful, extremely. It can make you think and do things that you normally wouldn't do outside of having that in your face, inundated with these, in, these things and this information. So that's the proximity and the power. Now, I wanna define for you the social media effect. Generating visibility around social, ethical, environmental, and political views or issues, thus spreading educational material quickly and efficiently. So it's quick and it's fast. We have to be mindful of that to know that our children, we are being indoctrinated with things that we don't necessarily want to be indoctrinated with. And I'm gonna give you an example of how not focusing on the effects of these things can drastically change where we are in 50 years. Because most of us in this room will not be here in 50 years. Some, some of you will, but most of us won't be here in 50 years. Now, when you think about that and you think the impact that today will have 50 years from now, there's an example to show us how these historical things, because one day we will be history. I know you, you're like, I'm now. No, you're going to be history one day, and so will I, okay? 1969 was an extremely pivotal year. There were racial issues going on that culminated. The death of Martin Luther King Jr., assassination, assassination of Bobby Kennedy. You had the Vietnam War that had been going on for a long time and didn't end until 1975. And what we saw was this culmination of defiance and counterculturism in an event called Woodstock. Woodstock, New York. And Woodstock, and you'll see some pics up on the screen, Gallup, who are kind of the statistics and information people, the Gallup poll says the young people who assembled at Woodstock at the music festival in August of 1969 epitomized the countercultural movements and changes occurring in the U.S. society at the time. Now, Woodstock wasn't the impetus for change, but Woodstock was the sign and the symbol that change was coming. It was literally coming and you couldn't stop it. Now, fortunate or unfortunate, I am a documentary junkie. I, I love documentaries, I love learning things. Some of them, my kids are like, you're really watching that? Yes, I am. Friday night, and I wasn't intentionally looking for it, but I saw, oh, there's a documentary on Woodstock. And so I watched it, and I was like, wow, this, this was the most. Like, what they were doing and how they were doing it and what was going on. At points, I wanted to cover my eyes because it was so, it's so much, it was a lot, you know? What it showed is society is going to continue to change and it's going to degradate. It's not going to get better. It's actually going to get worse. And you may say, okay, tell me more about that. And one, one commentator even said this. The three-day event was an open, classless society of music, sex, drugs, love, and peace. You can't get any worse than that, okay? Here is a list of 10 things and 10 ways that society has changed since Woodstock. So 50 years later, here we are. Now understand, this list is not a list of these are all bad things, but it's a list of things that change from what was the norm in 1969 that is no longer the norm. Number one, religious attachment has waned. So people are less religious, less attached to things that are of any type of religion, and they don't want any parts of it. We see that as the truth. Number two, and this one's a little interesting because of where we know we are. Number two, marijuana legalization has gained support. It's legal. It's literally legal now. So it's not that it's gained support, it is actually legal. Number three, interracial marriage has gained acceptance. It was not accepted because you know the history of our country, or maybe you don't know because we surely didn't learn all that we should have in school. That was a little dig. Um, but we know that there, was, there were many points in our history where interracial, you didn't, and I don't care if it was black, white, tan, it just didn't happen. Well, it's gained acceptance now, and it is acceptable to 
large swaths of people. Number four, majority now think first trimester abortions should be legal. Hmm, we're on third trimester now. So we've moved past this. Now remember, comparing 50 years ago to where we are now. Number five, Americans have become willing to vote for a woman president. Like I said, these things are not necessarily bad, but it's just a sign of the change, because that was not the norm in 1969. Number seven, or six, excuse me, willingness to vote for a black president has grown. Hello, we had a black president. Unless you missed it and you were under a rock, we had a black president. Number seven, Americans now prefer smaller family size. Now, you've got to understand where society was, even 50 years before Woodstock. And it's going to bleed into our conversation about education. Why did families need to be large back then? Farm. We were, a, a, and this is a hard word for me, agrarian society. So everything was agriculture-based. So families lived on farms. Hello, you need farm hands. Make babies have farm hands. Bottom line, you don't, if you don't have a farm, you don't need farm hands. But there's a little problem. The Bible still says be fruitful and multiply. So how do you reconcile the two? So we'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward. Um, number eight, premarital sex no longer taboo. You know where we are with that. Number nine, homemaking no longer a woman's preferred vocation. <laughs> I got a loud amen. <laughs> Number 10, support for gay rights goes mainstream. This was not the norm. None of these things were the norm 50 years ago. And some of you would say, amen, good. Some of these things are not good. And if we think about where we are now and extrapolate 50 years down the road, what in the world type of society are we leaving our children and grandchildren? Just, just take yourself there. It's not going to be a pretty picture. So then what do we do with this? What do we do with this, okay? What we do with this is understand that we have been educated and in some way, shape, or form desensitized from understanding that certain things are sin and that we need to turn our backs on them. So what do we need to do? We need to figure out now, and we're going to look at the book of Matthew to understand how can we focus on making education matter so that we can see the gospel flourish and the gospel go forth even in our culture. Now, before we do that, I want to make sure we're on the same page with three terms that I want to define. Kingdom of heaven, education, and students. Because if we're not on the same page of understanding these terms, then we'll end up in different places. So kingdom of heaven, God's governing rulership as Lord by which God manifests himself as God in the world of men. So it's basically God's activity in and through his people as we see the coming kingdom, the inbreaking kingdom of God coming. So that's the kingdom of heaven. Education, the process by which lessons, concepts, and beliefs are instilled through direct and indirect instruction. So it's the things that you are, that you catch and the things that are taught. So you catch certain things, you're taught certain things. And lastly, students. Anyone who sits under someone's teaching. We are all students that sit under Pastor Josh's teaching every week. Today you are students sitting under my teaching. Hopefully we are all students of the word and we understand and we read and, and all of that. So ask yourself this question, what are you a student of also? What do you study and what do you educate yourself with? And is it pleasing to the Lord? That's for you to deal with, not for me to deal with. Now, if you're physically able, I'd love for you to stand. We're going to read the text, and then we'll, we'll disseminate and kind of chop it up and see exactly what God wants to say to us through Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child... He put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fashioned around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Father, bless the reading of your word. 
Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we can see in your word and will be pulled out, Father, as we talk and walk through this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's a few questions I want us to answer. What is the point of the story? There, there is a point, and if you're not careful, you'll miss some certain things. What was Jesus wanting the people of the time to see? And then what lesson can we learn from Jesus' very specific words? There are some very specific things he said. Okay, so let's talk about the greatest. When we say, and when the question is posed, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? There's a reason why they're asking that question, and it really shows where their hearts are. And so when we, and we live in a society of the greatest. We live in a society of the goats. You know what goat is, right? Greatest of all time. And we can think of different singers. I have, and I love music. I'm a music guy. Sports, music. That's me. So I can think of some of the greatest musicians, some of the greatest vocalists that have ever lived. I've got many in my mind right now. Top of the list, male, female, different genres of music, because that's how much I love music. So I'm a student of music, right? So, but the problem is, Jesus is not saying we need to be focused on being the greatest. And that's why he turns the, the, the tide on their question as they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he turns it on them. Well, we have to understand this. That question is being asked and answered by what is going on on social media, what is going on in our schools, sometimes, unfortunately, what's going on in our churches. It's being answered. And we have to be mindful that that's probably not the right question. So when you think of this, oh, hello, hello, hello. Okay, we got some helpers here. Man, all right. How many of y'all have we got? One, two, three. Give them a hand. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's like playing Duck, Duck, Goose. You remember playing Duck, Duck, Goose? Do y'all still play Duck, Duck, Goose? We did when I was a kid. It was a lot of fun. Okay, yeah. What's your name? You're very smiling. I like it. What's your name? I'm Luciana. Luciana. How you doing, Luciana? Good. Okay, good. All right, so what's your name? Lenny. Lenny. Lenny, I like that little bow you did there, Lenny. How old are you, Lenny? I'm seven years old. Oh, I'm seven as well. <laughs> Plus 43. You believe me? I'm 50. Yes, you believe me. He got it. He got it. All right. All right. If he didn't get out, it felt really bad. So what's the point of bringing these kids up? Like, these kids represent children in society that... If we're not careful, we will not focus on. Because this may not be your child or your grandchild, your nephew, your niece. But do you know we have a responsibility to these children? Now, here is how we know we have a responsibility to these children. When we read this passage, what did Jesus do in wanting to make a point to the disciples? What did he do? He grabbed a child. He grabbed him, it says, specific. You know why he was able to grab a child? Because children were around they were everywhere. And in fact, in the Near East culture, the responsibility to take care of children was everybody's. I feel like, cool, right? If you, never mind. All right. So it was everybody's responsibility. I feel like doing it again, but I'm not going to. It was everybody's responsibility. So yes. Now you may say, oh, hold on. The Bible says parents are to discipline children. They are. But there also is a greater connotation, and we see it from time and time in the Bible where a child was an example, that children were there, and they were there to show everyone we got to take care of them. We have to. We, and we're not trying to make a better earth for them and for society to go to hell from. That's not what we're doing, because it could become that. Let's just make society better so that they have a better place to go to hell from. Absolutely not. We're, it's the gospel. It's the gospel focus. That's why we don't give out food and just say, hey, be warm and be filled. No, we want you to be warm and be filled and be filled with the spirit. So we want to do more than just give you food. Now, who? I need one volunteer. Raise your hand. All right. What's your name? Liliana. Li oh, I got nice names. Liliana, you were the first one to raise your hand. You can put your hand down, sir. So you're coming over here all by yourself. Why don't you stand right here? Okay. Now, why would I do that? And I want you guys to go further over on the stage. Please don't fall off because I'll get in trouble. All right, keep on. Stop right there. Stop right there. All right. So what's the point in this? What's the point? How many kids are over here? Nine. One over here. Now, 
We understand we're educated in all kinds of ways. We're educated in our homes, formally, informally. In America, children have to go to some type of school, right? Or else they're truant. That's the word that is still used. They're truant. Parents get in trouble if children are in some type of school. And the main three ways that children are educated in America are public school, private school, and homeschool. All right. So 90% of children in America are in public school. 90%. So I would say to myself, wow, we got to figure out how to reach this 90%. Not to say we leave out the 1%. That's not what I'm saying. Because hopefully the 1%, which is a lot harder to reach, hopefully they're connected to a church or to a private school or parents are homeschooling because they want to, you know, um, not isolate, but insulate their children with the gospel and things of the, of, of the word. But this is our mission field right here. You can't reach your mission field if you're not around children. So we got to figure that part out. Now, also what I would say is this. It's easy in our society to farm kids out. Go to children's church. Go to your Sunday school class. And I am not saying those things are bad. I'm not. Because actually, they're good. Children get to learn on their level. They get to learn in a way that's suitable for their intellect. What I am saying is we can't always farm them off. Do you know that by simply watching me and adults and your parents, you will pick up and learn things that you would not have learned if you were by yourself? How many of you cook? Okay. Okay. How did you learn to cook? From watching your mom? Watching mom and she taught you. How did you learn to cook? My mom. Watching her and she taught you. Your dad. <laughs> Watching your dad and he taught you. Who else likes to cook? I, I saw my dad. 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 My, my mom. Your mom. So you're literally uh, mom too. Celebrate mom too. Don't, I can't just, that's wrong. So, so moms and dads, you're watching them. Do you like to cook? I like how my mom. Okay, so your mom. So you literally have to be around her to watch her do it. So what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is we can't just farm these kids out and expect them to understand and to catch and to be taught the things that we need to teach them. If you're careful to look, this is not in my notes, if you're careful to look at societal trends, you will see that we have far less children, or even let me even say their parents that know how to cook than the generation before, right? And why is that? Well, they're not around as much. We live these crazy, busy lives. And society has just told us, just go pick something up. Just pick it up. Pick up a meal. Is that a bad thing? It's not. Do you know what you're eating? You don't. But also, are you being as good of a steward of resources as you can? You're not. You know that you're not because it costs three or four times more to buy that than it does to make it at home. But society says, just, just it's, it's fine. And then you got less money that you could give to the things of the Lord, literally, because you're out there living your best life and picking up this and picking up that and not passing on to the generations ways that they can do it themselves. And then they would have more resources for kingdom work, and we all would. That's not in my notes. That's just an extra, okay? Now, what's the point? When you think about how these kids or even you or I have been educated, you got to understand this. I haven't been educated by ideologies or worldviews or media or schools or churches. I've been educated by who or by what? People. People have educated me. My youth pastor that had huge influence on my life growing up in Tampa lives in Deltona. I didn't know that until we moved here. And we went out to dinner a few weeks ago, and it was awesome. And I got to thank him for the investment that he had in my life. I didn't mention my church yeah, the church was important, but it was people who were important. It was not the church. It was the people in the church that God used. And what's happening in our society, there's a lack of real personal integration and understanding of how we should live. And, and if we're not careful, we will kind of just let the kids wander, wander. We already know our hearts are prone to wander. We know that. So we have to be so focused on God's business that we're going to grab them and say, no, we're going to teach you. You can come back over here. I feel bad. Come back <laughs> over here. Join everybody. Be part of the party. We have to figure out how are we going to 
get to their hearts. Because that's the thing. It's not about just changing behavior. It's about grabbing the heart. And the word of God is who grabs the heart. Now, the word of God also says this, that the heart is deceitful. Do you guys know this verse? The Bible says that the heart, our hearts are deceitful in what? You know the word? Any of you know? Adults? Wicked. You know what wicked means? No. Oh, it's not a nice word. It means doer of evil things. Hey. So that's my heart. Like my heart naturally wants to do just evil things. But then Jesus comes in and he says, you don't have to be a slave to that. And I've got good things in store for you. And so how do you learn these things? People teach you these things. People ex expose you to the word of God. And then you can become a new creation in Christ. Amen? Y'all feel good? Y'all yeah. ready to go back? Yeah. All right. No? You want to stay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I need you to go back. So <laughs> we're going to go back. I thank you. You made everything fun. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. So point number one, because I got to get to our points. Point number one is sometimes we ask the wrong questions, which shows the position of our hearts. The first question, the thing that frames everything is, who is the greatest? That's not the best question. Here's a good question. The right question is, how can I have the greatest impact for the kingdom of heaven? And we're going somewhere with this. I'm going to lead you somewhere with how we can have the greatest impact. All right? So a few things, though, as we're kind of getting to the middle and the end of this. 100% of children are being educated one way or another, whether it's in church, music, now it's by people still, internet and social media, because understand, internet and social media, there are people behind that. We may want to just say, oh, those are just philosophies and ideologies. Uh, 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 uh. It's people who are putting these things up. Friends, parents, some type of formal or informal education, if we took some time to ask these kids specific questions, what we would find out is they know more at 10 years old than we possibly knew at 25. And that's scary. It is scary. It used to be said, and this was probably about 20 years ago, that a child, by the time they are 12 or 13, every bit of moral fiber that they have, they will take for the rest of their lives. About five years ago, that percentage went down, or that number went down to nine years old. So by the time, it's, and I'm sure it's less now. Why is it less? It's the exposure to everything. So somebody is educating them and teaching them, and if we're not careful, if we don't stay close with our proximity and allow our position as their parents and their leaders and their church leaders to influence them, we will lose them. We will lose them. Second point, sometimes the best educator is through the life of a child. Jesus literally in verse 2 says, in calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And as I said earlier, children were with adults. It was part of the culture. We have a culture where that's actually the opposite. We have to be very careful because you have to say to yourself, is that biblical? And if it's not, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? So think about this. I remember, I distinctly remember, because it got a little heated, um, a few years ago we had a discussion at our house about, it was a political discussion. And, you know, my brother was there, and I remember we were kind of on opposite sides of this thing. We didn't dismiss the kids and say, okay, adults are talking now, you got to go. We let them sit there, and what they saw is, okay, there is a way to be on opposite sides of something, but to discuss it and, and let it be that and share your point. They don't get to see that if we say, okay, kids, you got to go to your room or do, do this. Or that. Now, there, are there times where you don't really want to discuss things in front of children? Of course. They're children. They don't understand. They won't get it. The frontal, frontal lobe is not even fully developed yet. So, yeah, that's true. But I bet there's, those are less times than more. I, I bet they are. But we have fallen trapped and fallen into this thing of letting society decide how we do what we do in the church. And that is dangerous. That is dangerous. Because we are a peculiar people. We are called to difference. So we must live differently. Just because your little friend Susie's doing it and her mama's allowing it doesn't mean that we're going to do this in our house. 
does not mean that. I remember, and it's, I'm going to probably let this be the last about me because this is, this is Jesus, but it helps people understand when they have examples, okay? We, we understand and we know the culture that we live in. If you have little girls and you go shopping with them for clothes, Lord have mercy. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. So when our girls were a lot younger, I, I've kind of pulled back on doing this because some of it makes me feel uncomfortable now, but I used to take them bathing suit shopping because I'm telling them, I'm a man, I know how men think, so you're seven years old, you don't need a plunging neckline on your bathing suit, hello. Because you know what that does? It's conditioning their minds of, oh, okay, so later on I will, I will have something that the plunge is for, hello. And so as they got older, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm out, I'm out, you know. But I did that because I was trying to nurture in them modesty. You know, that whole um, Christian saying of modest is hottest, you know. Modesty, why? Because you don't want to do that. You don't want to sell yourself short and sell yourself cheap. And your body is the temple. Now, they had to be educated with that. And they needed help. And so as they get older, hopefully something stuck. Now you may say, okay, wait a minute. We're talking about women and bodies and we're talking education and we're talking temples. I'll be honest with you. There's something I've struggled with probably since I was 13 years old. Hello, you know, when I think of the temple and I can grab more than I should be able to grab of this belly and everything else, you know. And there have been times where I've said, okay, I need, some, I need to get some folks around me who can encourage me and get some proper education. And it's, it's out there. It's out there and it seems to be competing. Macronutrients and micronutrients and carbs and protein and blah, blah, blah. What do you do with this? You take, you, you, you take what you can and you take what is useful information and you hopefully get some people around you that can help you stay on track and help educate you, and then you go through it. You go and do it. So I'm putting myself out there, because I've been thinking and praying about this for a little bit, and I, I, I feel guilty. I feel like you can't tell people to honor the Lord with, your, with their temple when your temple is foul. And I've, I've been, I feel conviction, and so it, it'll take time, effort, energy, all the things but got to take steps towards it as I've been educated. Because once you know, you, you want to do better. You want to do differently. So when we look at this and we look at how Jesus responded to this, Jesus' response was very specific and very focused on, no, to be the greatest in the kingdom, you come to me as a child. And so you say, okay, this passage is talking about salvation. It is talking about salvation, but there's a greater context here of saying that we have to take care of children because the, the bad part of that, as we see towards the end, and we will talk about it, was if you don't take care of them, you're, you're, there's some bad things that we would want for you, okay? So what's the focus? What's the focus? And when we look at Jesus' example, what did he do? Jesus changed his proximity and position by coming to earth and laid aside his full power to offer salvation to us. He set an example by doing that. And as we look at scriptures, look at Philippians 2, 7. It's on the screen. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. What does that mean, emptied himself? Well, it's, it's, it's this concept called kenosis. And it means he laid aside part of his attributes so that he could come to earth. We know that God was what? Or is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, right? So omnipresent, he's everywhere. Omnipotent, he's all-powerful. And omniscient, he's all-knowing. Well, in order to come and localize himself on the earth to lay aside, empty himself, what attribute did he have to lay down? His omnipresence. Because he was localized on the earth for a specific mission. This is what's so cool. Do you know we are localized where we are for a specific mission? Now, let that marinate. Just like Jesus was localized for a specific mission, you and I are localized 
for a specific mission. In the families that we are in, in the neighborhoods, in the churches, in the schools where we work, we're localized. Brings us to our third point. Sometimes our education focus is off and we can learn from children but also need to properly lead our children. We can learn a lot from our children. We could learn how selfish we are by seeing how selfish they are. We can learn how we miss certain things and are misguided in our focus, but we also have to understand that we lead them. They don't lead us. We lead them. We, and, and, and you think about it like this, too. My dad is 83 years old, okay? Lives in Tampa. Is my dad still biblically supposed to lead and guide me? Be careful how you answer. Is he supposed to? The Bible does not put an age limit on when that stops. Children, I'm always going to be his child. Now, it may be a little different how he does it, but he is still helping me. Sometimes when I don't ask for the help. And you all know what that looks like and feels like. But I'm, I am his child, so I don't think there's anybody on the face of this earth that loves me more than him and my mom. Because that's kind of how... That's how when you're a parent, you, you love, deeply love your child. Yes, yeah, spouses love each other, but it's completely different when you think about your children. And if you're married and have children, you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to listen to him, and I'm going to help and have him help guide me. And that's what is part of this whole thing. Now, here is what we are to do. We are to lead from position with proximity and power as we are on mission to redeem a people from all peoples to glorify God in all spheres of life. That's what Pastor Josh has been instructing us with and sharing with us. But we have an opportunity to do that. So last year for us, things started unfolding in a way that we didn't know it was going to unfold with our church and, and um, schooling, everything. And, and I got to the point where I was like, God, I need you to direct my heart. I need you to refocus me. And I've told you all the different things that God has allowed us and me to do through the years. And I say, God, what do you really want me to do? Like, literally. And so after a time of just praying and fasting, God led me to start a, an education initiative called Rebuild Education. Well, as I'm figuring out how to fashion this thing to take character lessons from the Bible into the public school, I was introduced to this other ministry. And I'm like, okay. And as I'm coming up to bat for the first time, they're rounding the bases like five, six times. I'm like, all right, so what do I do with this, God? What do I do with this? Because I understand this. As I look at this, the grand scope of education, which is our fourth point, sometimes we let our children down. We completely let them down. Our education focus in America is, is horrible. There were two reasons why public education was found in America. Help families on the farm, teach Puritan values. Most people aren't farming anymore because we have big industry, and we are definitely not teaching Puritan values. So what are we doing? We're just going through motions and giving them, that's literally why for some of you who hate chemistry, that's why you still have chemistry as a core class. You might not have known that. But you have that because you have to know about chemistry to properly till soil and grow crops. So to this day, why to this day, after almost over 100 years of public education, chemistry is still a core subject? I think it needs to go. That's just personal. And I was a chemistry teacher and a chemistry major in college. I think it's time for it to go. But that's a whole other subject. Now, how do we know we let children down? And why is that a big problem? Look at what the verse says, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, that's dealing with salvation, but we can't even get children to believe in him if we don't share the gospel. And that was the point of these nine over here, the 90%, we've got to figure out how to get the gospel to them, and I got an answer. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That is, that's heavy. That's very heavy. So what do we do with this? And I believe that there is a, there's an answer. It's an open door. Now, a few years ago, 
as I was reading the Bible, and I have a routine the last probably 10 years of trying to read through the Bible every year, and you know you read and you've read for a long time, if you've been a believer for a long time and you read the Bible, all of a sudden you come across a verse and you're like, where has that been? Like, I've never seen that before, but you know you had to as you read through. It's Psalms 11.10. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. So why does it go well for the city when the righteous are doing well? Why? Because we are, we are salt and light, we are the game changers. We are society changers. We are on mission. So if we are doing well, then society is blessed by what God has given us. So what does that mean? It means this, that we lead from position with proximity and power as we are on mission to redeem a people from all peoples to glorify God in all spheres of life. Now, I want to share something with you. When I found out about this, as I, God was allowing me to start our education initiative, I, my mind was, you know, when I say blown, it was blown. Now, we all understand and we've heard about separation of church and state, right? There's probably not a person in this room that has not heard about that. And you know what? There's a Greek word for separation of church and state. That's the Greek word. It's garbage. And I'll tell you why. You may say, well, hold on. How, why do you say that? It's garbage. Okay. So, what I'm going to share with you is probably the biggest evangelistic tool over the last 70 years that the church has missed. And you would say 70 years is a long time. It is a long time. Now, how many of you have heard of released time religious instruction? Released, my family can't raise their hands, released time religious instruction. How many of you have heard of that? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, more than any other service. There's more people in here, so that makes sense. So about five of us in here have heard of that. And the rest of us have been, and I believe it's been a work of the enemy to keep this from us. I truly do. I truly do. So let me educate you on what released time religious instruction is. 1952, the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS, ruling states that public school children can be released during the school day for religious instruction with three stipulations. Number one, off-school property. Number two, privately funded. And number three, parent permitted. So are you saying that public school kids can be released for a Bible study and hear about Jesus during the school day? I am absolutely saying that. I'm absolutely saying It doesn't have to be after school where you miss most of the children, especially your disenfranchised kids, that there's no dad or mom because mom might be working a second job to go pick them up at the school they've got to ride the bus so it's during the school day literally during the time frame of school if school is from eight to three it's during that time you say how does this work because this sounds like crazy town it works quite well there are schools in Ohio and mostly rural areas have been doing this for a long time. Some of you may even have been part of this as a kid but didn't even realize it was called release time religious instruction. But there was a time in the day you were released for a Bible study, there were church folks involved and you went and did it, maybe walked to the church and came back. How many of you have heard of that? Or maybe even been a part of that? Okay, got a few more hands. Okay, so you may say, okay, this sounds great. How are we going to do this? Well, in me starting my education initiative, our family, God literally led me to this other ministry called LifeWise, and you'll see a QR code on the screen. I want you to take your phone out. I want you to put the camera to it. It will lead you to a site, because we're going to do that here in Seminole County. Last service, I said Sanford County. Seminole County. So when you tag that, it's literally going to say what state you're in, Florida, what count school district, we're in Seminole, and then it will lead you to um, putting in some information. I will get that. I can communicate with you. I'll also be in the back after the service with cards. I am very passionate about this because I really see this is an open door that we have missed because we didn't know, and I believe the enemy didn't want us to know. It's going to take a concerted effort financially, practically, to frame this, we're going to have to go into the schools and coordinate with superintendents and schools, but it's being done. Like I was starting to say, there were schools in Ohio 
where literally right now, 95% of the school children in a, in a specific school are part of LifeWise Academies. Where once a week, yeah, absolutely. Where once a week they go, they have a Bible study and they come back to school. It's just, it could be 45 minutes, you do your lessons and singing songs and start as soon as they get on the bus. So we have a lot of coordination to do to make this happen and we need a lot of folks. So October 9th, we're having an info meeting dinner, five o'clock in the hub, and we want you to come. There's information on the website about it. It's, it's called, out, it's under outreach on the website, but I wanna see us transform Seminole County, Central Florida, through transforming children's lives. Because you know what happens when you affect change in children? What happens? It changes the, it will change everything. Mom, I've been learning about this guy named Jesus at school. I, I, and they, they, they talk about this stuff at church. I hear a lot, I wanna go to church. And guess what happens? Mama brings Junior to church. Junior is now hearing about Jesus all the time. Mama's hearing, and there are testimonies after testimony of how God is using release time religious instruction to transform communities. So the question for us is, if we're made for mission, which we are, how do we then be part of, and if God is calling you, he's calling you. If he's not, then there's something else for you. But how do we specifically be part of this mission? How do we join in? Come see me, come to the meeting. I don't even, if you don't even RSVP, we'll make the food stretch and we'll make it happen. But I'm telling you, this is the greatest, I believe, the greatest missed evangelical, evangelistic tool over the last 70 years. And we can be a part of it, amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, I pray that as we understand how you addressed a very simple question, the ramifications of that in dealing with children, how that can come alive and we can see not only their lives change by the gospel, because that's what it's about, the gospel. We can see families' lives change and communities change as we are on mission for you, Lord. Bless us as we sing our last song. And Father, bless us as we organize to see this become a reality here in Seminole County and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.